Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. We're in a series titled The Greatest Promise. And the reason that we are doing this series is because the theme this year has been all about promises. We are seeing promises come to pass. We are seeing promises that we have prayed for be answered. We're seeing people get promises that they're holding on to um, until they see it come to pass. And we have decided to end this with the greatest promise there ever was on our Christmas services, the promised Messiah. And the way that we are deciding to lead up to the greatest promise is by going through the Old Testament. And we are looking at stories and figures in the Old Testament and seeing how they point to Jesus. And the reason we're doing it is actually because of our key verse. And it's John 5, 39. And it says, it's Jesus who is saying, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, but the scriptures point to me. And when Jesus said the scriptures, he meant the Old Testament. I mean, he's literally speaking in the, Old, the New Testament. It hadn't happened yet. Like stuff was still happening. So we figure, well, if Jesus said the scriptures point to him, then we should probably like look at the scriptures and see if they point to him. So that is what we decided to do. And I'm really excited about it because I grew up in church and I don't know about you, but the rhetoric I was told was like the Old Testament was this like really mean, evil, wrath God who just was like waiting for a moment to like burn people alive. And the New Testament, Jesus came and he was like a hippie and he was like peace, love and chicken grease. So that was Jesus. But the great theologians over at the Bible Project have this little slogan that they always say, and it really stuck out to me. It was from page one to the final word, we believe the Bible is a unified story that leads to Jesus. So I decided maybe I should rethink what I've been raised to believe and try to find this New Testament God of love in the old. And I started to read the Old Testament through the lens of Jesus because Jesus himself says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So if I see the Father in the Old Testament, I should see Jesus and spoiler alert, we do. I saw this God of love and patience and mercy and forgiveness all throughout the Old Testament. So the New Testament old ended up becoming cohesive and it was something that I enjoyed to read. So I'm really excited about getting to be in this series. And here's a little quick refresher before we hop into week three. In week one, Pastor Tim taught about Adam and Eve and we learned that Jesus was there as the lamb in the garden. And in week two, we taught on Abraham and Isaac, and we learned that Jesus was the ram that was in the thicket. And this week, I get the privilege of talking about the Old Testament figure, one of the the original OGs, Moses, which I'm very excited about. Yes, we can applaud for Moses. I got one of the best guys. I'm excited about it. So if you were here the past two weeks, you know that Pastor Tim has had some catchy sermon titles, which FYI, I got wrong at the 9 a.m., so we're gonna try it again at 11. Uh, But he shared those titles with a country accent, which I will not be doing because it would be even worse than his was. So uh, (laughs) week one, he titled that there was a lamb in the garden and week two, that there was a ram on the mountain. 
So he told me, he was like, hey, you should name this week, There's a Snake on a Stick. And I was like, that's a great sermon, but I'm not telling that story. <laughs> so I can't. So his catchy sermon titles die today with me, but maybe just like Jesus, they will be resurrected uh, the next time that Pastor Tim preaches. But actually, this week's sermon title comes to you courtesy of my good friend, David. He's sitting in the front row. Hi, David. We're just, my whole sermon is just us applauding different people. <laughs> uh, I was telling David about some of my thoughts at the beginning of sermon prepping. And he was like, you know what a great title for that sermon would be? Keep your eyes on the prize. I was like, that would be a great title. I'm going to use that title. <laughs> so the title for today's sermon is that I came up with all on my own. Keep your eyes on the prize. <laughs> so before we get any further, let's pray. Lord, thank you uh, for already meeting us here. Um, thank you for the words of encouragement and um, that we've heard already from 9 a.m. about the way that you have showed up to your church. And I know that you have already met with people here in the lobby, in the parking lot, in, in worship, in giving. Um, so I pray that you would continue to do that now. Would you meet with us here today? Would you reveal the truth to us that you need us to see? And Lord, I pray that my words would bring you honor and glory. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So as Pastor Tim shared, I am a kid's pastor, and I just can't get away from that calling on my life. Uh, so we're going to have a little kid's church in big church today. Can you cue up image one, please? <clears throat> so this is Moses. And um, for most of our story, this is what he looked like. I'm sure just that size and everything with a real big head, that, that was Moses. Uh, but where we first see Moses in scripture is in Exodus 1. We read that the Israelites have been enslaved by their leader, the Pharaoh. So Pharaoh, he was really afraid that even though he was enslaving these people, they were growing by number and number, fulfilling the promise that God had said that they would be fruitful and multiply. So he decides, I'm going to have my people kill all of the young Hebrew boys by throwing them in the Nile River. And this is what Moses is born into. His life is at stake from the moment he's born. But what ends up happening is his mom puts him in a basket and sends him down the Nile River, I'm assuming, hoping that he would land where someone could take him in. And cue up image two, please. So this is what ends up happening. He's going down the river and he lands at Pharaoh's palace. And Pharaoh's daughter just so happens to be outside. And she's like, oh, look at this cute little baby. I'm gonna make it mine. And then Pharaoh's, but what, what she doesn't know is Moses's big sister had been, guys, it's like a telenovela, okay? She was following the basket and she walks up to Pharaoh's daughter and goes, hey, you have a little Hebrew baby that you're gonna keep, which isn't weird or legal or anything. Um, but do you want a Hebrew woman to breastfeed it until you um, can take care of it yourself? I know this great lady down the street. And it was Moses' mom. So Moses' sister set it up so that Moses' mom could take care of the baby until Pharaoh's daughter took it. So shout out to big sisters, okay? Because I don't know about you guys, big sisters might beat you up or tell you you're adopted like I did to my little sister, Mary. I'm so sorry about that. It was really, really mean of me. Uh, but they will also ride for you like nobody else. And we see that with Moses' sister. So now Moses grows up and he decides, I don't know who told him he was adopted, but someone did. 
And he decides, I want to go and see what the Israelites are all like. What is the plight of my people? What is it like? And he goes and he sees their oppression. And he specifically walks upon an Egyptian slave driver beating a Hebrew slave. And apparently Moses is about that life because he kills the slave driver and buries the body in sand, which... I don't know about burying a body in sand. It just doesn't feel like it's very good cover. I've never tried to bury a body. And I don't know if those of you that have can speak to that. It's okay. The Lord is for everybody, even if you've hit a body in um, sand. Uh, so Moses does that. And obviously, because he wasn't very good at it, it was only his first time committing murder. So some people saw it, and they told the Pharaoh. And the Pharaoh started chasing after him. So Moses runs away. Um, I'm pretty sure there was those wanted posters like in all the old westerns where it's like Moses faces wanted, dead or alive, $500. So he runs to this place called Midian. And that is where we saw him in the first image with the little sheep. And he gets married and he becomes a dad. And then image three, the famous story of Moses and the burning bush. This is where we're going to pick up in scripture, yes. We are finally getting there. One day, Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't the bush burning up? I must go see it. And this is how I feel when I hear my neighbors arguing and I'm like, I must go listen to what is happening next door. And when the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Don't come any closer. And then the Lord is about to just sign off. I mean, he just was like, you are about to know who I am, sir. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord told him, I have seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile land and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, or if you're vegan like me, oat milk and agave nectar. And it's a land where a bunch of ites lived. And look, the people of Israel have, the cry of the people of Israel have reached me. And I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abuse them. Now go. For I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people out of Egypt. This is where Moses turns, adopted Hebrew boy, murderer on the run, shepherd, father, husband, and becomes the deliverer of Israel. For the next nine chapters, we see a lot of interactions between Moses and God. He was too afraid to speak to Pharaoh, so he actually brought his brother alongside with him. And then we see a bunch of times of Moses and Aaron going to the Pharaoh, begging for him to release uh, the Hebrew slaves. And each time Pharaoh said no, and then this is where all the plagues come in, for those of you that are familiar with the plague stories. 
We will not be getting into each one of those stories, but we will pick back up in the last plague in Exodus 12. Announce to the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each family must choose a lamb or a young goat for a sacrifice, one animal for each household. The animal you must select would be a one-year-old male, either a sheep or a goat with no defects. Then the whole assembly of the community of Israel must slaughter their lamb and young goat at twilight. They are to take some of the blood and smear it on the sides and the tops of the doorframe where their um, house is when they eat the animal. Now, the reason that God said this is because the last plague was going to be an angel of death that was going to go throughout the land of Egypt, killing the firstborn of every human and livestock. And the way out of this, the way to be delivered from this happening to your household was to follow these instructions and to kill the spotless lamb and spread its blood on your doorposts. If any of you are familiar with scripture, you could probably pick up what I'm putting down. All throughout this story so far, we have seen depictions of Jesus. Moses, like Moses, Jesus was also born in a time where his king was told that the king of the Jews was, go, was born. And his king was afraid that this new king, this promised Messiah, would overthrow his rule. So what he decides to do is to kill all the young boys in and around Jerusalem, hoping to kill the promised Messiah, just like the Pharaoh killed all the Hebrew boys. But just like Moses, Jesus was spared. An angel came to uh, Jesus' dad, Joseph, in a dream and told him about what was going to happen, and they were able to get away. Both Moses and Jesus' lives were spared from evil men trying to take them out the moment they were born. And just like Moses was the mediator, the go-between, between God and Pharaoh, and between God and the people, so is Jesus our mediator. In 1 Timothy 2.25, it says, there is but one mediator between God and all humanity, the man Christ Jesus. And we also read that Jesus is interceding for us at the right hand of God. So just like Jesus was a young boy spared from death and our mediator between us and God, our mediator is also our deliverer. Because right now in the Passover story, Instead of it being Jesus as Moses, we see Jesus as a Passover lamb again. The lamb that we have seen so many times in these last few weeks. We see the Passover lamb, the lamb that was in the garden with Adam and Eve. The lamb who was killed to cover the shame and guilt that Adam and Eve were carrying. The same lamb that, like Isaac, was brought to slaughter at an altar. Just like Isaac, Jesus went willingly to an altar to be sacrificed. But unlike Isaac, he did not get off of that altar and he was sacrificed for our sins. This picture of the Passover story was a foreshadowing for the later death and resurrection of Jesus. We get to see in this moment a foreshadow of something small that would have a greater impact later on. Because what ends up happening in the story is the angel of death passes and the people are able to flee slavery from Egypt and they make their way through the Red Sea and they live in the promised land eventually. They get to live free as free people. And for those of us that put our faith in our Passover lamb, 
As the angel of death comes and passes over us because we have decided to believe in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we are now covered by his blood that was smeared on the wood of the cross like it was smeared on the wood of those doorposts. And we one day will also get to live in a promised land, free from slavery to sin and death in eternity with him. Moses' deliverance was great, but it was only for a single people in a single generation. But when Jesus comes, like always, we see a picture of something that foreshadowed him, but it could never even come close to how great it was when Jesus actually fulfilled it. Because when Jesus comes, it's not just for one people group or for one time frame, but it's for all people, for all time, so that all people would be able to set free from sin and death and the grave. Jesus is always showing off. He's always trying to do a lot more than the people that foreshadowed him or pointed to him, and he does it so well. Pharaoh thought his power and control were final. He had enslaved the people of God. He had been brutalizing them, killing Lord only knows how many young Hebrew boys. But in a moment, we see him defeated. It barely even took any effort. The Hebrews had left and they had fled through the, the Red Sea. And in that moment when the Pharaoh chased after them and he's sitting on the, on the dry land in the middle of the sea, in a moment the waters came crashing over him and took his life. How was it that this man that was able to reign terror and slavery for so long was defeated in one moment? It wasn't because of Moses or the Israelites, or Aaron. It was because he came up against Yahweh. We read in Exodus 3, then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt. Moses became the one to guide and lead the way, but only because of the God who called him, equipped him, and allowed him to do that deliverance. Because it might feel like it, and it might have felt like Pharaoh had the upper hand and he was winning plague after plague, but he's not. Because Pharaoh, Satan, your sins and temptations, they are not going toe to toe with God. No one is a match for Yahweh, even when it feels like it is, even when it feels like the slavery to sin or death is going to uh, take you down with it and you can't overcome it. Just like I'm sure it felt like for the Hebrew slaves when it came to Pharaoh, in one moment of Yahweh deciding to intervene, it was done. And in that same way, for those of us that put our faith in Christ Jesus in one moment, sin and death and the things that had hold over us no longer do. When all we do is say, Jesus, yes, I believe that you lived a sinless life and you died the death that I deserved and you rose again. In that moment, it's like the waters crashing over Pharaoh. Sin and death no longer has any hold over us. And I know though, it doesn't always feel that way. <laughs> it can feel like we are powerless against what we are facing. And the fact of the matter is, we are powerless to it on our own. Paul writes in Romans 7, 
Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Thank God the answer is Jesus Christ. Israel, the Israelites' only hope was a deliverer. And at this point, though, Moses is dead. He's not here anymore. But our deliverer lives forever. It feels like we are wretched people stuck in sin and death. But there is a hope. In the man, Christ Jesus, in our Passover lamb, there is a hope for the sin that entraps us, for the death that feels like it hangs over our head. There is a freedom from it. Nothing that is coming against you actually can unless God allows it because God is bigger than anything that we face. He is bigger than death and sin and the grave. He is bigger than slavery. He is bigger than bondage. He is bigger than it all. In one moment when Yahweh says so, everything changes. In one moment, that is all it takes. Because in Roman 8 says, and because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit that's freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. As I was writing this part of the sermon, and I'm getting excited about <laughs> the fact that I know for believers that death is not the end, that it's just the beginning to something greater. And I was thinking about the things and the sins that God has freed me from and even getting hope for the more that he will free me from. I kept getting stuck on something. And I kept having this thought and I actually thought, I was like, no, nah, this is gonna be weird to share in the middle of the sermon. I'm not gonna do this, but it wouldn't leave me. So I decided to leave it here. I was thinking this thought that Jesus does not just free us from eternal death and sin, but he frees us from the thoughts of death. For eight years, from when I was 14 to 22, I dealt with suicidal ideation. Uh, there were multiple times that I had plans and attempted to take my life, um, and thankfully it didn't work. But it was a weight that I carried all the time. I was kind of the same way I am now, really joyful and outgoing and stuff, but behind closed doors, it was like there was always this cloud that hung over my head. Whenever life got even a little bit hard, seriously or not, the first thought that would pop in my mind was like, it would be better to be dead than to feel what I'm feeling. And I would pray about it, I would tell some people about it, but nothing would make it go away. I even went to therapy and it didn't solve the problem. And one day, the thoughts were just gone. I can still remember the first instance when the thoughts would usually arise, but they didn't. And I believe that in that moment, Jesus just does what he likes to do and he delivered me from those thoughts that I was having because nothing else was changing except for that moment, it just changed. And I didn't want to miss this opportunity for those of you in this room that also deal with self-harm or suicidal ideation like I do, or did, praise the Lord. I believe that the same God who delivered me from those thoughts doesn't only have that for me. I believe that he wants that for everybody because he is in the business of setting captives free. He is in the business of giving people life in exchange for death. So I would love to take a moment in the middle of service, we're not ending yet, and just pray. For those of you in this room that are feeling that weight, for any of the 20 people who might watch on YouTube later, 
I would love to pray for you guys that are walking through this and pray that you, got to, you get to experience the same deliverance I have. So if you would with me real quick, just bow your head, close your eyes. Lord, I thank you so much for what you freed me from. It felt like I could finally breathe after being underwater for a really long time. I live with this sense of just constant gratitude for my life because I know if it was up to me, I wouldn't be here anymore. Every day I have is precious because it was a gift that you gave me. And I know I'm not alone. I know I'm not the only person even in this room who has maybe ever walked through this struggle. And Lord, I pray that you would meet them as you have met me. I pray that this would not be something that they would have to deal with for more days or weeks or years to come, but I pray right now by the power of your spirit that you would rip out those thoughts from their mind. I don't know what brought them there in the first place, whether it was the spirit or some, uh, the enemy or something spoken over them. I don't care where it started. I just ask, Lord, that you would rip it out, that you would take it from their mind, that they would never again think about the hopelessness or depression that they feel and that leads them towards wanting to take their own life, Lord. I pray that you would speak to the parts of them that feel hopeless and unworthy and unlovable and replace it with your truth that you deem them worthy, that you deem them lovable, that you deem their life worth living, even when stuff gets hard, Father. So I pray that right now, anybody that is hearing this part of this sermon, Lord, would be set free from dealing with suicidal ideation and self-harm, Father. You have always been and you always will be a deliverer. And I thank you for what you are doing right now in this moment, ahead of time, before I even hear the testimonies that I know we will. And it's not because of me, it's because of you, because you love to set the captives free. So I thank you for what you're doing in this moment, Father. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you guys for taking a random moment to pray with me. <laughs> in our last few moments together, I thought it was about time that I explained the great sermon title that I came up with all on my own. <laughs> I think far too often our focus is on the things that we can get from God instead of God. Keeping with our series title, we focus a lot more on the promise instead of the promisor. God said back in Exodus 3 that he had heard the cries of the Israelites, that he had seen their oppression, so he came down to free them from Pharaoh, and he did that. And they walked out of slavery, freed people to the land that he promised them. But just two months after their emancipation, this is what we read in Exodus 16. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sought around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. So here they are, freed from slavery, on their way to the promised land that they wanted so much, complaining. Complaining and longing for a past. A past where they were enslaved brutally. A place before they were free people. However, while the people were focused on that, Moses was focused on something greater. In Exodus 33, we read the words of Moses, and he says this to God. If you don't personally go with us, 
don't make us leave this place. Moses kept his eyes on the prize. He was far more concerned with the one bringing them out of slavery than getting out of slavery. We are excited to know that we are set free from sin and death. And those are good things to be excited about. I don't know about you, but I love to sit and daydream about the new heaven and new earth. In my mind, I'm gonna have heck of animals and they're all gonna be able to talk with me. So I'm gonna be able to chat with them. You guys are like, there's billions of people you could have conversations with in heaven. I'm like, yeah, but I wanna talk to my cat. So that's what I'm hoping happens in the new heaven and new earth. And even though I know marriage no longer exists there, I'd like to like live next door to my husband still. Like that would be kind of cool. And I love that I was set free from sin. I can reflect over my life and see struggles I used to have that I don't anymore. And I have a hope for the future of things that I can still be delivered from. These are promises that God gives us and they are fantastic things to focus on, to pray for, to be delighted in. Those are fantastic. So don't hear me when I say that we focus too much on those things and not enough on God, that those things shouldn't be focused on at all. They're fantastic. They're so great. But like Moses, he had his eyes on the right thing. And I want us to have our eyes on the right thing. Because instead, if we don't, we get into the trap the Israelites got into. Where on their way to the thing they were begging for, they start complaining. And then they get into the place that they were begging for and then they start complaining. Like all of us, like when we pray for a new job and then we get the job and we're like, praise the Lord, he gave me the new job. And then we get the new job and we're like, I don't like my boss very much. Uh, Lord, is this an attack of the enemy? And he's like, you prayed for that job. I gave you that job. But it's because the ultimate prize is not what we have been delivered from, but who we have been delivered to. Our deliverer is our ultimate prize. Jesus is our ultimate prize. There's a scripture in Romans 7 where Paul talks about prizes. And it's something that gets uh, talked about a lot. I've actually talked about it before when I was preaching here on a sermon. And he shares that he presses towards his goal of uh, what God is going to place before him. As he runs his race of faith, he presses towards this goal. And it's this prize that is waiting for him. And I have read that and I have thought about the prize of eternal life and the prize of heaven that I am dealing with road ragers and people who get on my nerves and like my body when it hurts when I get up. I'm dealing with all that because I'm pressing towards heaven where none of that's gonna happen anymore. But before he starts talking about prizes, he shares about his life before Jesus, how he was dedicated to the Jewish faith and all these things that he was proud of and thought were so important. But then he met Jesus. And he says in Philippians three, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I may gain Christ. Paul did not write the value of what Christ gives us or frees us from, but of knowing Christ. We get the privilege 
the honor of knowing and being in relationship with the creator of the universe, the God that defeated Pharaoh in one moment, the God who was and is and is to come, the great deliverer, our lamb. We have that opportunity, but so often what we care about more is what he gives us. And what ends up happening, as I alluded to before, is we get disappointed. Those things that we pray for and want, they always still come with something, a little baggage. That's just how life is. And we should still pray for those things. You should still pray for deliverance. We prayed for it a few moments ago. I am not saying that you should not pray for those things. If you have an illness, pray for deliverance. Pray for healing. If you have family members who don't love the Lord, pray that they would. Pray for those things because God does promise those. He promises us that sin and death and the grave no longer stand against him. We should pray for those things. If you are on your knees begging the Lord for things and have unanswered prayers, you find yourself in great company. Scripture is littered with that. But all I'm asking you is like the Israelites, is that what all your faith is attached to? Or like Moses, is it attached to the one that you're asking for those things? Because if your faith and love and obedience is God is dependent on him answering prayers in the way that you want, you will be disappointed. It's inevitable because some of those prayers are not going to be answered the way that you want. And I'm not saying that this is some nonchalant thing, like you should just be like, dang, God didn't heal my friend of cancer. It's all right, I get Jesus, yay! Like, I I don't think this is an easy thing to do or an easy perspective to shift. I know what it feels like to be on your knees daily praying and begging God for something that you're not coming to see. And you end up being faced with this reality of what are my eyes really on? Are my eyes on the prize? Do I actually care about my relationship with Jesus and just knowing him and getting to be with him for all eternity? Or do I care about what he gives me? Do I come to church on Sunday so I can hear a good word that makes me feel good and worship because I like the songs or is it because I'm here to learn more about God and to give him the praise and honor and the worship that he is due? What is my focus on? And the reason I think that I wanted to share a little bit earlier about the suicide in that moment was, yes, the Holy Spirit was encouraging me, but also it's something right now that feels pretty fresh for me. Uh, In May, I lost my stepdad to suicide. And at the same time, I was dealing with feeling really disappointed walking in over a year of infertility. And come July, I was tapped out. (laughs) I even had a chat with my husband where I told him like, I'm done. Not on my faith, but on hope, on joy, on trying. I have nothing else inside of me to give. Like, I am just residing that this is what my life is gonna be now. (laughs) But like a millennial, I was on YouTube and I was watching this YouTuber who was sharing about her infertility issues and come to find out she was a Christian. And she shares a list of eight things that I've learned um, while dealing with this. And the first thing she says is, Jesus is the prize. And at that moment, I started weeping because I knew she was right. 
There has been probably nothing in my life that I have prayed for more than the salvation of my family members and having a baby. And I just watched one of my atheist family members take his life. And it was one more month and no baby. But I knew I had everything I needed because I had Jesus. Because even if all of my family members get saved, and even if I have a baby, life is still going to be hard. And those situations are still going to be difficult. And one day I'm still going to face Jesus in heaven, and he's going to be the thing that was the point all along. And I thought about one of my favorite Bible stories in Daniel 3. It's the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And there are these three young Jewish boys that were being forced to worship foreign gods in a golden statue. And they said, no, we ain't finna do that. That's not what they said, but it was kind of like that. So they were faced with another opportunity to defy Yahweh and worship this golden statue and the gods. And this is what they said. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we wanna make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. Do you hear what they said? They said the God is able. And they said that God will. And then they said, but even if he doesn't, we will not turn our backs on him. The tension that every Christian has to deal with. I believe God is able, and I believe God will, but what do I do if he doesn't? Because we have the promise it's not a shaky ground. It's not a what if or even if he doesn't. Our salvation is a promise. If we put our faith in Christ Jesus, we can be sure of that promise. And we can be sure that the power of sin over our lives is broken. But just about everything else is kind of up in the air. So we have to come to a decision and say, even if he doesn't, what are my eyes on? Will the even if he doesn't make me walk away? Because it does make some people walk away. Because their faith is tied up in only if he does. But my prayer is that this would not just be my own testimony, that this pastor on stage who has decided that Jesus is her ultimate prize. No, my prayer is that for the Father's house, San Francisco, that your call, the cry of your heart would be that Jesus is our ultimate prize. We are not in San Francisco to get a great job and make a bunch of money and have a healthy retirement. We're in San Francisco because we believe that Jesus is the prize for San Francisco.
And we believe that we are going to stay here and pray to see salvation saved. And I am going to pray still for the salvation of my family members for, to have a baby one day. But even if he doesn't, the cry of our heart should be that Jesus is our prize, our deliverer, our Passover lamb is the best thing that we can ever have. He is the only thing that will actually satisfy the longing that we have in our hearts for the things that we think will fit our needs. They won't. Only Jesus will. He's the only thing that fully satisfies, that answers every prayer that we actually have. In him is where we find the peace and the strength and the joy to get through the hard times of life. In him is where we have life. In him is where we have the power of, to overcome sin and death because Jesus says in Revelations 1.18, I was dead. But now I am alive and I hold the keys of sin and the grave in my hand. So he would say to you those things that you are coming up against. Remember, like Pharaoh, it takes but one word from Yahweh and those things come crashing down. And he says, come to me with your prayers and your worries and cast them on me. Come to me. I will not promise that every single one of those things will turn out the way you want. But I promise you will find what you are looking for in me. My prayer, San Francisco, Father's House, San Francisco, is that our cry would be that our prize is our deliverer, our Passover lamb, our ultimate prize. Let's pray in the band. You guys can come on up. Lord. I thank you for this time that we had together. I thank you that you broke the chains of suicide, of self-harm, of death and sin and the grave in this space. I thank you for giving us another opportunity to shift our eyes on you. Lord, we repent for the ways that we made the things that you will give us more important to you. Lord, I thank you that you give us so much grace and so much forgiveness. And right now we are shifting our eyes back to you, placing everything else a second in its rightful place. Some of you though, you have yet to even put your eyes on Jesus. Or maybe you did years ago and you've walked away, but you would say that this is your opportunity to once again, place your eyes back on the prize. If that is you and you would like to make the decision to be in relationship with Jesus, to have the power of sin and death in your life broken, I would love to pray with you. And if that is you, would you be so bold to raise your hand so I can see who I'm praying with? Oh yeah, I got that hand, I got that hand, thank you. Oh, I see your hand up there. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, I see your hand, both of you. Oh, praise God, that's so, thank you, Father. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Ooh, man, there's nothing like literally looking at people and saying, wow, sin and death no longer has reign in that person's life. I mean, yes, let's applaud. So if that was you that raised your hand, I'm going to say out a prayer and it's not about the words I say, it's about the posture of your heart and believing this to be true. And the rest of the church, your family wants you to know that you are not alone. So we're gonna say this with you so you can repeat after me. Jesus, today I give you my life. 
thank you for giving yours for mine. I choose to follow you, to experience freedom from sin and death, and to spend my life keeping my eyes on you. Help me to walk in your ways from this day forward until I see you in eternity. In the great name of our deliverer, Christ Jesus, we say amen, amen. Can we give it up for those that made that decision? Yes. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we wanna pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.